Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season two, episode four, where the stars are scattered thinly. Uh, Aaron, if I said to you where the stars are scattered thinly, what would you say to me? <laughs> I would say why the clouds are shining bright. I forgot, I forgot the counter side. You. You. I'd have to shoot yeah, you. Yeah. yeah with you clearly you're not the, the contact. Honestly, it wouldn't be the worst thing. <laughs> uh, what did you think of this episode? Oh, I liked it. Um I, we get to find out a little bit more about the nature of the prime radiant with I, which I thought was super interesting. Um, and, and seeing Harry is, especially this vaults version of Harry, I think is always exciting because he's always got a new revelation, a new wrinkle in the plan. This freaking flim flam artist, man, he's going to get a reputation if he's not careful for just straight up lying to you. But maybe that's what he wants. Maybe that's what he wants. It's, it's all part of the plan. I don't know. But I really love those parts of it. Uh, and then we've got, you know, the whole continuing conspiracy within Empire, which I'm excited to see more of. How about you? Yeah. The the politicking, the marriage alliance politics. This gives me a lot of, like, season, uh, you know, uh, two, three, and four vibes from Game of Thrones, where you had the Tyrells come into town. They're going to mm-hmm. marry Marjorie to Joffrey, but they're looking to see what kind of dirt it's got under the fingernails of everybody. It's totally, it's pretty good, pretty good. And I'm still like, I am, am, am I crazy or am I like more suspicious of the Sarah in this episode than I was before? Uh huh. Yeah, she I does. Mean, she, she, she started to seem more and more like the type of person who might have engineered all this for the long the long haul yeah now she's you know she's not just meeting officially and being uh you know kind of coy and inquisitive in official meetings now she's back channeling stuff and that's even more dangerous right now she's obviously actively manipulating the young dawn uh, uh yeah dangerous stuff Especially when we know that uh, Rue, who was a Gossamer court courtesan, uh, who was a lover of Dusk, who mm-hmm. was, I guess, Day at the time, uh, that the the uh, they have a an ability, Dominion does. They have a they have an ability to undo Imperial mental wipes and reconditioning. That's yeah. interesting. Like, what the hell did she take away or were, were they able to recover from the session she had with Dusk that, uh, you know, might have altered the the course of their history? I wonder if Dusk confessed about the genetic instability or something like that. Hmm. Could be. Um, I think those are going to yeah. be very important recordings, whatever we get from that. Continue to really like hope. I, I guess it's like I'm. I I yeah. set out to watch the first four episodes, and I'm like, I'm really looking for something to hook me this season. 
Um, and I really, really gravitated toward the Hober Mallow guy. I really like Brother mm-hmm. Constant. Um, I I don't know that I can explain their relationship, but I liked it. Um, and yeah, like I this 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 very different Harry Seldon, who's not the raving lunatic from you know mm-hmm. that that's, that's hanging out with Gale, who's polished and in control, and the plan is still you know moving smoothly and correctly. Um, uh, and his like subtle digs at the administrator he doesn't care much for that's built a mountain for himself to stand on and looks good in a fine suit i <laughs> I, I like the two separate sides of uh, selden here and i'm wondering e- even more like what's it going to be like now that one of them is back to be imprisoned in the flesh mm-hmm. yeah uh no it's all very exciting i th- there's an image that we're gonna have to talk about that we talked about in last week's uh feedback section that i think is gonna be yeah i don't know i don't know if it's supposed to be the most intriguing thing they've done yet with the show or something that means that should be just obvious but we'll talk Mm. about it yeah because it's it shows up here again uh but maybe we should get into the recap yeah we haven't even talked about the whole bell rio situation we better better get into it and i have a billion notes so let's do it uh we start off with Polly and Constant arriving back at Terminus with their guest in tow, Hober Mallow. Uh, he and Constant talk about his history with religion, Locri wine, and her real name, which she won't reveal. And then the director greets them when they get down to Terminus and they just kind of follow him. Uh, a lot of this, so there's a voiceover at the beginning of this, which mm-hmm. I think is Gail saying, if your parents never met, you wouldn't exist. Uh, you know, if your grandparents never met, you wouldn't exist, whatever everyone's a result of the unique set of parents and psycho history doesn't care about them at all. And it kind of sets the stage for what I think is the, the very, uh, very quick relationship that's developing here between constant and Hober, which I'm, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to interpret what Gail is saying here. There's, there's an element where you could look at it with a straight face and say, well, yeah, psycho history doesn't need to care about them because they're insignificant which is what she's saying. Or you could say that Gail is saying something here that is evidently false because the pairing of these two would have created something amazing or horrible. And it's only by chance that we miss that pairing. I I have so many questions about, you know, how should I read this, these voiceovers in this episode? Yeah. Cause thematically they're trying, like this is an episode that is about love and relationships you know, it's like mm-hmm. uh, it's essentially two, three different couples. Yeah. And yet the book ending and the, the two book ending statements from Gail is that love doesn't matter. Like it only yes. matters to the individual and psycho history uh, makes that attraction irrelevant on the scale of human. So it's like, but is yeah, that a flaw or a strength of psycho history is is what is she trying to say with that statement? Right. Because yeah, it's true. Or, but is it good? Is it, is it even a contradiction? Is it even a uh, paradox? Because it could be something that like us humans don't want to believe. Like our love is meaningless mm-hmm. on galactic time frames. Like we want to, you know, you hear this like, oh, you had a love for the ages. Well, if that's, we want to believe that it might not be true though. Mm-hmm. You know, that like these, so, but I, 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 I don't, I don't know. Cause like the show's official shtick is that psychohistory you know, predicts group humanity behavior. So individuals, it doesn't matter if any one particular combination of genes comes forward. It's like they're going to be the cog that plays their part. And if it's not them, it'll be somebody else. Uh, And I think that, 
Um, I, I, this feels like, you know, and we got in this little last year that this is kind of a repudiation of great man history. Cause like up until the last 30, 40 years, or I guess until you had like, you know, uh, you know, Marxian dialectics to kind of interrogate history through, you had this great man theory mm-hmm. that like Julius Caesar came on the sea onto the scene and he remade Roman from a Republic to a an empire, you know, purely but out a of lot his of, own will. Yeah. Yeah, like just sheer determination and his skill and talent, he remade the world in his image. And I think modern historians lean more to conditions were ripe for the Republic to fall and an empire to take its place. And if it hadn't been Julius Caesar casting the die, it had been somebody else, either sooner Mm -hmm. or later. And that, I think, makes a hell of a lot more sense than like, oh my God, you could have had the fall of the Russian czar but Vladimir Lenin wasn't there. He wasn't born yet. So we're just going to be serfs for another 30, 40, 50 years until the next time. It, it seems like, no, you had conditions that are ripe and mm-hmm. individuals. Well, it's in, it's it's inevitable that someone will step forward. Um, but then on the scale of love, none of that, literally none of that shit matters to the individual. Um, right, right. So, I, yeah, I don't know. Is it a paradox? Is it a contradiction? Is it something we just don't want to believe is true, that the things that are important to us don't matter to the universe? I could mm-hmm. I could see uh, either. Yep, same here. Um, it's clear from the very beginning of this episode that there is something going on with Constant and Hober. Uh, the way she kind of ogles him when he's got his shirt off, uh, mm-hmm. the, the way she's like very flirtatious in the conversation... She wants that for sure. I mean, if she wants that, she should get a look at uh, Empire without his shirt. She'd lose her mind. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you'd throw that Hober because Hober's just by the mallow. Average, but... uh, <laughs> so I think it's interesting. She's a very young, sheltered woman. Uh-huh. Uh Probably fairly conservative in terms of like not U.S. politics, but in terms of how she was raised. And she's a virgin. She lets us know. And there's something interesting about the self-possession that she's like, I want to climb this particular tree. Yes, that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of like is, you know, obviously is denied. But I, I think it, it's really interesting. And it kind of disarms Hober, right? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he's not sure what to do about someone this forthright. And also someone is pretty naive. Like he's like, you know, mm-hmm. this is a man that doesn't think much about the moral impacts of decisions, but like brother constant here has got him like, Oh geez, I need to reflect a little bit. Right. Yeah. I think he, he says he prefers to be about 10th uh, to bed here. Yeah. <laughs> not, yeah, right? not first. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd rather be like uh 10th in line. Uh, yeah. And I, I assume that's not just for his own sexual benefit. It's also probably right. for his own, uh, emotional benefit. He doesn't yeah. want to be that guy, right? Yeah, he doesn't else. have the the space or the, sh- the right shape to maintain a relationship. It only hurts someone like Constant, and but also uh-huh. like he's there's something you know that he might want to explore there, and and uh, she has some insight. Like you know, he says that he's this like where world weary, um, you know, very cynical person. But she points out several times like there is um, elements of. Uh, optimism to him that he's kept this mm-hmm. very rare vintage of wine sunny wine for 15 years implying that he's either not had anything to celebrate or he's still w- waiting for something even better uh, yeah. and, and I, the fact that he's described the planet as permanent sun you know as a permanent sunny side rather than a permanent dark side I thought that was mm-hmm. that was cute 
yeah it's, it's a glass half full versus half empty kind of thing uh I, yeah, I'm curious what would be the big thing that he would open this wine for. I, I almost thought we'd see it at the end of this episode. Uh, like maybe, you know, he'd get sent on a mission by Harry and love it so much that he toasts himself with the wine, but no, he's still saving it. Or he cracks uh, it open for constant. I do think we will see him crack that open at some point, and I bet it's going to be with constant. I would wager just about anything that this is not the last time they will see each other. Mmm, Chekhov's bottle of Lockery wine, huh? Yeah, okay. it's got to be, right? You don't point something like that out and then not use it. Also, the, there's the name-guessing thing he's doing with her, which I don't know her name, but she does. She she kind of gives a look when he says Agatish. That's the one that I think he might have accidentally stumbled on her name, but she's not Oh, you think he did? Name. Actually, because I was wondering, because, like, I this is... um. I don't know. This is this is what a flirting one hundred and one. It's just like you're oh, you're sure. trying to you're trying to and... talk to mm-hmm. a girl without a reason to talk to a girl. So you're just making up like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. if I guess your name, you got to date me. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what yeah, the yeah. fuck? Um, I don't yeah. know. There, there was something when he says Agatish that made me think, yeah, that might be her real name. Then again, maybe not. Uh, she also confirmed I... she's a Thespian which is something that uh-huh. we were speculating about earlier episodes. And I, I don't know if they're still on the table of she's a descendant from, you know, Hugo and uh, Salvor or not. But um, it seems they're still, I still go back to them drawing a pretty clear line between, uh, you know, Hugo and here you have this main character with these bright blue eyes. And then you've got the mule in the future with those same blue eyes. There's some kind of Thespian connection there. I would say there's no way she could be a, Hugo Salvor descendant, right? Because Salvor's in Salvor went into stasis for 130 plus years and she's oh, now right. still the age she is with no kids. So Yeah. That that can't be right. But yeah, who, no, no, you're right. who is she? How is she related to the rest of them? She so so in the I think it was the first episode or maybe the second, um we have her come back to Terminus and she's talking with somebody who I thought she had called Pater. Mm-hmm. And yet she uses Pater in a very different way in this sense. She says like something about her Pater is a group of people that don't, don't reveal their true names. Um, but then at the end of this episode, there is a character named Pater credited as an actor. And it is the actor yeah, no. that we saw earlier. She said her is father both? is a Thespian, and for cultural reasons, they don't reveal their names. I don't think... Yeah, but but I do think she has two dads. Ah, okay. I do think she's got two gay dads. Okay. I uh, All right, that might make sense. I, I don't remember the exact context, the exact phrasing, but I was yeah. very confused by it. Right, right. No, I because I, like she called that man who we were kind of like calling her like maybe uncle question mark, Pater, before... Now she res- yeah, referred yeah. to yeah. So like I, I think, I, I think she's there's a, some kind of um, you know non nuclear, probably gay relationship with her dad's, which you know, I guess, huh? I'm still trying to make a way for Salvor to like have donated her embryo like Gail did, I was, but I, I can't make it work. <laughs> nah, I can't make it work. Maybe yeah, Hobart, maybe so. maybe Hugo moved on with someone from the foundation after she got in the pod and left for a hundred years. Sure, I can see that. You know, 
what's i'm sure that's what she would have wanted for him right she like a john snow character from uh the expanse where he was like the child of 10 different individuals for some kind of property rights yeah they all donated their like fraction of their dna so they they could all he could all be a joint so this is the solve some kind of complicated land-based hereditary system that's a problem Uh in the future but yeah she could be like that where she's uh or i don't know maybe they got technology in the foundation where just dudes can get pregnant sure um so maybe one of her dad's trans man happen there's a myriad ways to square that circle Mm mm-hmm all right, let's move on to Sarath going without makeup as a psychological trick to get Dawn to open up to her. And they talk about uh, Joyner Rue's prior relationship with Dusk as they walk to a secluded grove where she tells Dawn that she wasn't the one who hired the assassins, but she asks if Day had her family killed. Dawn says, no, of course not. She asks if he would be able to kill her family since he's the same person as Day. And he says, not yet, but I might age into the idea. We'll see. Um, and like finally, Don become capable of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> finally, Don says uh, he likes her, and she asks why they aren't the ones getting married. Hmm. Seems pretty superficial manipulation here, but Don might but be effective. Yeah, Don might be ripe for it. I don't know. No, this to me, like if you're a Game of Thrones fan, this feels very Marjorie Tommen. Like this boy is not have any way any any preparation for the things she's employing upon him mm-hmm. doesn't seem like um yeah yeah so it doesn't it doesn't seem like day does let alone dawn the big flaw of um the queen being in on her own family's assassination is I it, the conversation she has with Enjoiner Rue doesn't make sense because she seems because I would think that Rue part part of my theory is that something that Rue picked up on the Empire is has set all this stuff off back when she was a courtesan and they've recovered her memory but that doesn't make be. sense because like she's having this conversation with Rue where she's like I just want to find the truth of what happened to my family mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff I, would have happened much, much earlier, right? They they say it's decades ago that she was. That's what I'm saying. Dust. So I don't see how this could connect, but they would have to if my theory is right. So, oh, say my theory is probably okay. bullshit. Gotcha. <laughs> it's possible. I'm just saying, Sarah is such a smooth operator that like some of the stuff she says, where like, I was just the pretty empty-headed thing that didn't get any, no training for statesmanship or military. Matt, well, how the hell are you operating? How are you moving like this? Mm-hmm. No one taught you how to move. How are you moving like this? Because yeah. she's moving. She's moving. I, I agree. And uh, Rue's got the full court press on Dusk. They're like, I. The, uh-huh. it seems like they're both isolating day. Yeah. Um, I guess so. And, but she has to work on day as well, right? Like she's she's working on day, but her side channel here is Dawn. Um. And it really it it provides context for what we saw in the last episode where they're having, you know, their official meal Um, Mm -hmm. and she kind of showered Dawn with attention during that Mm -hmm. meal. And that was interesting. And I I thought, oh, maybe she's taking a liking to him, you know, and this is all kind of straightforward and she'd rather be marrying him. But now it's pretty obviously revealed as all manipulation. Yeah. Do you think. I mean, I guess that's what I'm. You you said um, 
you know, she has to play to Dawn Day too. I don't think she is. Like you look at the way that they interact with Day, it's like deliberately provocative mm-hmm. and putting him down. Whereas you look at how Rue interacts with Dusk and you look at how Sarath interacts with De- Dawn and it's a completely different vibe. It's very much more ingratiating, flattering. For sure. Uh, but that's just up. the way she plays Day She because he, he's a different person. Well, I just feel like it's maybe that uh, it felt like they were trying to isolate Day, but it doesn't make sense from Rue's perspective because, if uh, according to her, the coupling is kind of like one of the things. It's one of her brainchilds. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know why she would be complicit in a plan to like, you know, or maybe they're trying to actually get married to Dawn instead. It's possible. Uh, You'd have a longer rule for sure. Yeah. You know, you have 30, 30, 30 more years of miles on the tires. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like it's a closer age range, too. But Yeah, I think so. I will say you get a uh, sense of the scale. They started this scene with a big shot of the gardens and the palace, and we kind of swoop up there. And <laughs> everything, everything in the Empire is big, right? Like, the combs are big. Uh, they're grand. The the ficuses in the garden, that ficus that he takes her to is just enormous. Uh, everything here in the palace is just huge. Huge ficus. And then we move over to Dusk and Rue. Uh, he finds her admiring his art. They also do a walk and talk about their prior relationship and the budding new relationship between Sarath and Day. Uh, Dimrazel still or not Demerzel, uh, Sarah still doesn't approve of the relationship. And Dusk invites Rue to watch the recording of the sex that they had years ago, which she agrees to as long as she can keep the memories of it this time. Yeah, that's a weird, what a weird, what a weird thing to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the Empire is a weird, is, is a collection of weird dudes anyway. All things have a cycle. First the podcast, then the ad. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Math is never just numbers. This isn't just a podcast. We're back with more foundation. Yeah, I don't know. I I I, I thought it was interesting that this the they always have these different characterizations of this different. That this dusk is like you know really into the art that he picked it up while he because like it seems like dusk like his job is to start chronicling things and start painting pictures. Day, Dawn is all about learning how to be day, and day does does all the work. But this mm-hmm. this dusk when he was day was still painting because like why wait for it to be a chore? Yeah, let me. But ask I wonder. You this. If, uh, but I kept on wondering like is 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 there like a little like a laissez faire attitude? Is like the reason Day's got the predicaments he's got is because dusk was essentially painting while the empire burned. I mean, yeah, they, well, they were losing been grabbing not, planets. 
yeah, they're losing all this territory. A lot of it had to happen under his watch, but he's painting. Uh, I uh-huh. thought that was interesting. It's possible. It's, it's, it's nothing you can really hang your hat on, but uh, it's something I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, does Rue make a mistake here? I, I'm not sure if it checks out uh, from a plot point, but what she says to him, you know, about his art, this conversation they're having about his art and how he loved this stuff even as day makes me think that, you know, she she got her memory reversed uh, after she came back from the palace and she remembered that about him. And that is why she gave him the genuine Dominion uh, pigments. Ooh, that's... Is she accidentally tipping her hand by d- giving that particular gift? It's it's subtle, but I see where you're going with it. Yeah, I, I couldn't say for sure he's not. And she could play it off as well. You know, I, I've sure. heard of how much, you know, Brother yeah, you, Dusk you, likes you, to yeah, paint. All the Dusk paint and we have got the best and... chroma pixels in the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. It could be innocent, right. but it also could show her knowing a little bit more than she should. Yeah. Why would being select? Why would being fucked by the emperor put you on the fast track for political life on your home planet? I don't know, especially just... with a memory wipe. I, she came home rich. I, I guess they get paid. Well, that makes sense. Like if you came, like if you, like I could see you becoming a minor noble of a smaller planet because of the wealth you would get from Empire if you, you know, served them that way. Um, I don't understand like why you would automatically be granted like super high acts, but I don't know. I don't know anything about the Gossamer Quartz. The Gossamer Quartz is like all the noble, like the, do all the nobles of the galaxy donate their children there? Do they just round up the most attractive? Like how how is the Gossamer Quartz selected? Because if it's like you yeah. you have to be a noble to be there in the first place, then maybe that you know the fact that the emperor liked you enough to have sex with you uh maybe is a is a little bit of a cachet but it wasn't immediately clear why this would be such a big giant boon mm-hmm. i agree um there's something else that's not immediately clear to me and it is what is this image of our solar system doing plastered all over the imperial wall here did you see this Wh- no, that I didn't. Do you remember the the sort of close up that ends this scene as they walk away from the art wall um that shows uh, what I think is like a skinned man or something on yeah. maybe a throne uh-huh. directly uh-huh. above his head is that eight planet that eight dot really that we saw in Dimmerzel's we saw. repair kit. Yes. I think we're actually talking about something that's going to come up and feedback this episode, but interesting. Okay. And I'm looking at it thinking am I supposed to just is this telling me that all this takes place in our future and that like Earth was somehow an integral part of the development of an empire years and years and years and years ago, millennia ago. I mean, I or am I supposed that. to be questioning what the hell does this mean? I, I believe I do think this takes place in the Milky Way galaxy. I kind of think they established that too, but maybe not. But I, yeah, like I, yeah, I talk about the, the feedback. I, I always um, got the opinion that Earth was like mankind has been exploring the cosmos for so long that the the earth is seen as almost like an apocryphal thing like oh that's like that's like saying the garden of eden you know uh-huh. um i mean i some people literally mean the garden of eden but like you know you can use it poetically to mean like you know where all of mankind came from right mm-hmm. uh, and i think that like at this point the the sun the soul and luna and terra are kind of like that for the people but i i could be wrong about that because again these are like 30 year old memories i'm sorting through gotcha yeah and I don't think they've mentioned it in the show yet. So, but they keep dropping this image, and I keep seeing it now. 
Mm, we'll keep an eye on Solar Watch. Uh huh. Um, then we go over to Bell Rios, and his ship arrives at Savannah. Savannah? I don't know how you say it. Probably depends on who you are. Uh, they think the natives haven't detected them and decide to drop down to the planet to meet with their informant. Um, when they get there, they need to go secure their extraction packet, but a group has claimed it as legitimate salvage. Bell offers to pay him for it, but it turns into a fight. At he, he turns it into a fight, which... Uh, Glaywin thinks he was a little too eager to get into because they end up killing everyone except for a single guy who escapes probably to return with others so they grab the extraction packet and race off towards their informant yeah what do you think of the drop pod insertion sequence it's cool uh, for a lot of reasons I, I well here's what I would have preferred I would have preferred some kind of acknowledgement that there's an atmosphere around this planet um, that they don't just drop in all all fine like maybe you know give the drop pods the same kind of aura stuff that emperor has um so they they can drop through an atmosphere unharmed but here they don't even heat up right they're just like well, straight but, down no problem so here's the thing i take it on a matter of faith that the only reason that that uh or a matter of science the only reason the aircraft heat up entering earth's atmosphere is because they're moving at a terrific velocity compared to it if we had okay. anti-gravity technology to where you could take a geostationary orbit, mm-hmm. you could drop something from something that ship. Slowly. It would go straight down, and I it hit it go at terminal velocity. But I don't think that's enough to like burn up. Yeah, you're probably right. Because um, I don't I don't think they orbit like the way the space shuttle does, where it's going like so fast that it's essentially yeah, twenty thousand miles. An I think hour they just like orbit like they just kind of hover. But I you you, uh-huh. you could be right. You could be right. No, that, that makes sense. Uh, the other thing that I noted on this is where they land. The landscape here is really weird. It's bizarre and interesting. It's got a lot of divots in it, just a ton of divots, and they're all kind of lined with stones. They're terraced, yeah, like it's some kind of agricultural technique of this weird planet. Yeah, I'm thinking, is this a farm? Is this a graveyard? Are these, like, grave markers around these mm. things, and, and these divots are, are where bodies are buried? Is this, like... A previous Imperial fleet landed here uh, with thousands of troops, and they These created like the divots decades ago. Holes? Yeah, uh, hmm. yeah. How 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 did this landscape get created, and what's its purpose? And we'll never know. We'll never <laughs> That's know. That's the funny thing. It's like they yeah. they do all this stuff and make it look so cool and weird and alien, and but we'll never know because this is this is a question up. I need to ask Goyer. When we have mm-hmm. him on. Yeah, in is... your mind, what are those divots? Yeah. Uh, they could be lightning strikes, but then I would think they would, they would probably be glassed, like the sand would change its uh, nature there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Yeah, and the, the, the real thing is you're supposed to understand, you know, like Gaywin says, you don't want to let the Empire change you into some hair-trigger psycho they can point you at You can't anybody. call the man with a husband Gaywin. I won't let it stand. I'm sorry. What is it? Glay. A What's his? It's Glay. What? <laughs> Glaywin. There's an L. With an in L? Yeah. Oh, because I was just going on the character guide. <laughs> I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> is that some kind of Welsh deal that they invent an L to put in? Oh, I, I thought it might be Guywin, but Glay Glaywin Glay Glaywin. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll go with Glaywin. I mean, look. If Agatish is a valid name, then Glaywin <laughs> is a valid name in this universe. Weenus. Oh, Jesus. We'll talk about Weenus. Uh-huh. Uh, where were you going with that? Sorry. 
Oh, I just go into the next scene as far as I'm concerned. Just that, like, oh. yeah, the whole point of that is, like, Glaywin is concerned that his husband yes. is being turned by the Empire into a psychomaniac. Right. And he says, you know, Empire takes a toll indeed, right? They've turned him into mm-hmm. a violent man who's who's quick quick to anger. Uh, and Bell knows trigger. it. He doesn't like being reminded of it. Mm-hmm. Makes him angry when you bring it up. He does have a cool facial scar now, though. Mm. I assume. Yeah. He got slashed in the face. Uh, and they, they bust out more than one new tech on us here. They have these foldable guns, extendable guns. Uh, yeah, it reminded me of like uh, Idris Elba's like dead shot equipment he had in the Suicide Squad, these transformable okay. rifles. Yeah. All right, next scene, everyone gathers around the vault as Hober Mallow is brought to it. They show him what happened to the warden <laughs> and he refuses to participate. But just then he sucked into the vault and Constant and Polly go in after him. Uh, but the director stays behind like a coward, at least for now. How could you say no? Like, I don't know. It's cowardice. I'm, go- I'm going in. I Like, I'm so curious that I would have to go in that thing, especially after I see Constant go in and not burned alive doing yeah, it. Yeah, your, your whole life you've been watching this thing and wondering when it's going to open and hear about the last time it's open and your whole mm-hmm. purpose. And you, it's just, yeah, but he's, a, he's just a coward. He's a coward. It's the only explanation. He's Craven. Yella. Yeah. I, I will say it's a little strange for Constant to think that Hober needs her help inside this vault. She's like, let's go, let's go help him. Why would he need help? I he's think in she's vault. in the I, I very much think for. this is her hormones talking. Yeah. Yeah. He needs help out of his pants. <laughs> sure. Is what I think you're you're supposed to understand here. His reaction at seeing his name scrawled across burned across this thing is like, is hell no. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Love that. Yeah, this guy's very worthy of an engraved invitation. That mm-hmm. is funny when they pan through the warden. It's just like a charcoal briquettes down there. <laughs> <laughs> that was a person? Yep. Uh, so the vault is huge inside. They meet up with Hober, who says it's been two days uh, since he went in, which is crazy. He's been wandering around that whole time, and the director joins them inside, finally. And they start off in a direction. And eventually they hear music and follow it to Harry's office. And he appears and he's pleased to see that Foundation has entered the religious phase and tells them that he needs them all to prevent a war. And I'm going to kind of... Well, I I guess the episode stops there. I'm going to break up later scenes because there's a lot that happens in here. Mm -hmm. So Uh, I think that I want to give props to the production design because I think it's kind of amazing how many landscapes they got out of what is essentially a huge blank room that they just use shadow and light, light, just light source to like suggest there's walls and flip, but there's nothing really there. It was such a really cool look. And then as they get closer to Harry, the space starts congealing into space. Like you see the repeating staircases that are a hallmark of the inside of like the, uh, the prime, uh, uh, not Meridian. Radiant. It's the prime Radiant. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got. The, I want to say prime Meridian every fucking time. Um, but like as you, and then it starts turning into the geodesic uh, triangles and shapes and tesseracts until you get to his office. I thought that was just a really simple and elegant way of suggesting these kind of like vast fictional spaces. 
yeah it it looks really cool um it is very slick and i think it's also connecting things thematically because there's some interesting stuff we learned about the prime radiant in a later scene here that i i think is surprising and kind of they've been hinting at for a few episodes now what is the yeah do you want to are you ready to talk about that because i'm not sure i'm picking up what you're putting down no let's wait until we get to that scene okay um the other thing I think is funny about this scene is, you know, when Hober gets to Harry's office, for lack of a better term, um, and he starts eating and they're talking about, you know, that. so if this vault makes everything, then it comes from your body, right? And the pause that gives him as he's eating. But but it's also well, another, like, Jesus illusion, right? Harry as Jesus, the eating of his yeah. body, right? Uh, Take they're this, intentionally this means doing my this body. Stuff. Drink this, this means my blood, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's the also the Judas move of taking a dump inside your creator's <laughs> coffin, I Body. suppose. Because, oh, yeah, oh, he's been in there, too. Yeah. He's in there for two days, Jim. What's he supposed to do? That's another interesting thing, the time dilation. That there mm-hmm. was, like, may, like they say two minutes. I doubt it. It felt more like 30 seconds, And but Hober's been in there for two days. Yeah, and that was interesting because to, uh, to Harry, it almost feels like very little time has passed, right? He says... Polly, so young, so so, uh, not not so long ago or whatever. Just yeah. yesterday, I think. So young, just yesterday. And it, is that under control by Harry? Because I don't. This could be just a mistake. But at the end, uh, Hober leaves quite a while after their others leave the facility and there's this hilarious scene where constant tries to pull the like oh my god it's been three years and I yeah. was almost like holy Amazing. shit that might have been uh-huh. but like it should have been um, I feel like it should have been like a month or two but like I wonder if Harry slowed down time just to like give Hober Mallow some cooling off you know let's give him some time to humble him a little bit have him you know yeah. wandering through this alone maybe feeling like he needs other people like it's a it's a manipulation tactic that Harry's using because it, it other because because it seems like unless it's just a mistake um Harry has full control over how fast time elapses within the vault yeah I could see that being the case um it's interesting in context of everything we've heard Harry say about the vault um and how you know it could drive you mad spending an amount of time in there is that because the time you spend in there, if you spend 138 years in the vault, you've really spent millennia in the vault uh, mm. based on how you'd feel about it. Time in the vault is dilated or or potentially it's variable in a way that's both, you know, extended and and compressed. You know, it could be because when he says you were so so young just yesterday, it makes me feel like Harry has felt as if this time passed in the blink of an eye, right? This well, 138 says, years might have been, might have felt like a few days to him. Yeah. And, I, and whether he he's in control something. of that or not is up in the air, I guess. He says, I've become unattached to physical needs and time. He hesitates slips in here. So that could mean yeah. a lot of different things, uh, but, but what the ultimately it means it has no relation to how fast time is uh, right. Elapsing on the outside, yeah, and potentially in both directions, right? I I like again. This is I, I we talked about this in the last season too. Like when Jared Harris is allowed to be like this, like you know, kind of great man motivator, and he's doing and saying all the right things. Like you can see how much it means to Polly to be recognized. 
you can see how much it means for constant for the prophet to lay his hands on her um you can see how prickly the director is about you know the things like for example he says i'm glad you all came I, it's not just hober i need you all to prevent a war and the director really doesn't like that he is spoiling for a fight with empire yes i mean because he was told well he wasn't directly told but they were told uh, the foundation that they needed to prepare for this war mm-hmm. the last time Harry emerged. And now this dude who, who revealed that it was a lie in the first place and that they needed to prepare for war is revealing that the war was a lie too. And now they need to try and prevent it. I wonder if it's another Christ. That's be annoying. I wonder if it's another Christ metaphor because, you know, um, the night of his death, Christ famously asked his disciples to go out and procure a few swords. Cause you know, things might get rough later. Uh, later in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the, they came to arrest Jesus, uh, Peter goes and lops off one of the guy's ears, and Jesus puts a kibosh to it. It's like, whoa, 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 mm-hmm. what's all this swordplay, Peter? Peter's like, the fuck, Lord? What? You put this in my <laughs> hand in case things got rough. No, he doesn't say that, because you know that's not what you say to Jesus. But but it's like mm-hmm. I, it's almost like someone setting up an object lesson for you to learn. Mm-hmm. Is that what Harry's doing? Mm-hmm. Like he's having them prepare for war, but then at the last minute be like, but that's, you know, obviously we need to avoid this at all costs. And it's a test of his foundation. I think that's an interesting concept. It's possible. Uh, I wonder if there's a second layer here because there's a second Harry. Uh, if if he knows that the Harry that everyone's interacting with will come off as a liar and people will start to mm. distrust him, because that's just that's part of the plan, you know. Um, Harry at some point needs to needs to kill God. He needs to kill himself as a uh, mythological being, and let the foundation flourish on its own and take its own path. But how do we square this with him intentionally doing things to keep himself from being deified? Last season just wasn't the right time yet. He needed right. to like pump the brakes on the deification just a bit so that yeah. all the the timings would hit perfectly. Yeah. And now he's smiting people to make them to, to, really to make him seem time like for the religious. And he's mm-hmm. like, and then what's going to come next? Uh, he ah. doesn't. He, he Yeah, he leaves that for a mystery. I like this. I like this a lot. Have we actually got to that point yet? That's uh, when nope, he's having a conversation with Hober. Okay, I want to because yeah. I want to see. I want to talk to you a little bit about that when we get uh-huh. there. All right, let's move on to uh, Bell and Glaywin arriving at a cliffside home where they find Patrician Barr, their informant. He tells him he's been sending him information for 40 years, but no one's responded. Uh, they spot some real-life books, which amazes them, and Barr shows them his recordings of Constant using one of the Imperial Auras and their connection to the Foundation, the Vault, uh, and the evidence for them having jump ship tech. This is all mind-blowing to them. Yeah, so uh, it turns out we got some, because uh, we got a little bit of the, the feedbacks will be a bit of dry pie about the old man theory being a spy for the empire because yeah this episode he he's a spy for the empire Turns uh, 100% right um uh, what do you think about these religious but these are like it look like they're Hindu texts ancient Hindu texts um, yeah it's Vishnu and, right in the images here yeah and I looked I um I did some I thought I determined what text this was from but I did I mm. forgot to write it down um but yeah this debate about a prince and a his charioteer uh you know they they got uh, amassing for a large war but they debate the rationale for it 
I feel um, like he's describing them in this scene very yeah. distinctly based on the stuff, you know, where Glaywin's saying, like, look, you can't become this tri- trigger happy maniac. They can't let- turn you into that. Well, even their their toast, right? It's like the here's to the 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 ones who fight and then Glaywin corrects it to also and those ask why. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's almost like you see Glenn with like like at like elbow and bell hooks like huh huh see see remember when and, you were like a philosopher warrior a warrior monk right and and there's this weird relationship that Bell has to I guess the mark that he suffered under the Empire it feels like he's gatekeeping a little here because uh, Barr says you mm. know the Empire's yoke has left a mark both during and after their occupation yeah and Bell scoffs at that he's like. Pfft, as if he's the only one who could possibly be marked by the Empire uh, due to their misdeeds against him. Well, it's an Imperial... It's it's funny because it's like an Imperial loyalist who's been done dirty by the Empire, uh, but yeah. just rejects him out of hand that, like, these, like, oh, but the Empire, like, you were better for, you know, like, it's no doubt in his mind that the Empire belongs here, the Empire's... You know, it's like a day's a little bit of lunatic, but the the idea of the empire and 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 hegemony is is a hundred percent right. I think that's what I got from that. Yeah, no, you're totally right. That's what's getting at. Uh, the other thing uh, here is nobody paid attention for forty years. He's been beaming shit back to the empire. This, I assume, yeah. these are the rumors that uh, yeah. Demerzel was talking about. Mm-hmm. They weren't rumors. He was getting this shit directly from one of their informants why are they mm-hmm. not paying attention to it that's they really took their it makes you the think ball. like like is it the, is the imperial switchboard just on fire all the time so like uh Maybe. weird magic because that's the other thing it's not like they're saying harry selden's foundation is doing this it's weird magicians i like and in in all yeah. the galactic list of threats did weird magicians ever make it to the top 10 probably not um, yeah, but also, it's it just goes to show how much the Empire has been slipping since we've got, uh, caught up to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does he get books way out here? Especially the se- seemingly Earth tales? These, yeah, have I to mean, be tens of thousands of years old is what I got from it. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to put together we are, in fact, in some version of the timeline where Earth exists. Uh, this is not some strange like galaxy. A- Battlestar Galactica situation. Yeah, seems like it. Because uh, Vishnu is an Earth concept, so they yeah. wouldn't put that imagery in there without it meaning something. Yeah, and it does seem like they are laying a lot of tracks for the soul system mm-hmm. and, you know, mankind's kind of origins pre Trantor. The other thing that's kind of happened here is Empire has tipped its hand here on Savannah to its uh-huh. presence, right? I mean, the people who confront them, who have their extraction packet earlier on, recognize them as carrying Imperial gear. Yeah, there's the, 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 well, as um, Retainer Rue points out, they put their logo on everything. They can't help it. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, they put their logo on Bell, too, right? True. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's part of the Empire. He could, I mean, he didn't get that because he was in their favor. But, like, they know that the Empire is out there sniffing around these worlds now again, yeah. which is something that I think they didn't really want them to know. Oh, you know what? This is all like this is another. Sometimes they work so subtly that I miss it. But like when he's talking about the Empire leaving a mark on everything, this reinforces the thing that Rue said. It reinforces the brand that we saw this guy got. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, thematically tying together that yeah, everything the Empire touches, it 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 leaves its mark. 
can also tie back to the larger, you know, themes of, of relationships and love that's happening because it's left its mark on their relationship as well on Bell and Glaywin's relationship. Yeah. You get the idea that they were one of those fighting units where they just like communicated effortlessly and they always knew what the other was going to do. And Glaywin is shocked that, you know, Bell is this like, you know, spoiling for a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, he's changed. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Potential psycho. <laughs> uh, so the locals show up demanding their heads, uh, Bell and Glaywin and Barr. So they give Barr a merciful death and then make their way out the back and extract back up to the ship. Uh, and Glaywin gets to keep this book, which is interesting. Yeah, apparently uh, this guy was chiefing up some poison blunts. <laughs> Some needleweed, I'm going to call it, since it's needle yeah. tea. I don't know. Oh, interesting. He, he calls it something specific, lichen yeah. or, or larkin. I don't, I don't know what he says. I like that. There's like those little grace mode of that old man. Uh, or, so I really liked it when he's like a particle beam to the head would be more dignified. And when Bell relents, he's like, oh, thank you. And he puts his head. I thought that was like a nice little, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't know what dying of needleweed is like, but apparently it's uh, it must be worse than... than uh, lights out yeah seems like it probably i don't know die vomiting or but bleeding from every orifice i don't know it's probably horrible uh-oh our dynastic empire is experiencing some genetic drift we'll be right back the algorithm says the podcast will continue Welcome back to Foundation. Anyway, inside the vault, uh, Harry serves drinks. Polly spots the Prime Radiant and asks how it's here because he thought it left with Salvor. Uh, Apparently, it's a quantum computer that exists in two places at once. Um, Constant steers the conversation back to preventing the war, and Harry tells her and Polly that he wants them to go to Trantor to open diplomatic relations. And he opens an exit for them and invites Hover to stay for a while. Um, and but before he leaves, Polly asks Harry why he killed the warden, and he says basically it was appear to appear godly to the foundation, and to maybe prune someone that's a little too serious about it. Uh huh. Like, yeah. Like he's like, how long would it have been until he's saying he's the only one that's approaches the the conduit? And see, so sometimes you got to smite a motherfucker. Yeah, I guess he doesn't want profits, huh? Mm-hmm. He just wants to be god directly. Um, uh, so here's I am, the stuff that I was go talking ahead. about earlier. Before we get to that, okay, I cannot wait to see what it looks like for Polly and Constant to go before the Empire to preach the word uh-huh. of Harry Seldon. Right. Just as he, they're being sent there, just as Empire is fully realizing the hood that's been winked on them. Uh, does empire have an equivalent of titan's prick because that's what i expect it feels like (laughs) it feels like harry is provoking a war because it seems Uh like what's going to happen is these guys are going to be slaughtered and executed publicly and it's going to inflame the foundation and galvanize martyrs yeah but that would mean that Harry's lying to these people. But that would mean it's Tuesday. So I, yeah, I don't. Uh-huh. I, it just seems like this seems like that's what's actually happening. I would be shocked if anything else uh, comes of it. And that's sad because like hmm. maybe they killed Polly, but not Constant. Because Constant feels like she's built for the long haul on this show. 
I agree. Like, yeah, I would be outraged if she dies next episode because I feel like I'm just getting to know a very interesting person. Mm-hmm. I assume she's going to get away somehow. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense that Polly would be a sacrifice. Especially uh, since there's also like, does, does, do you think Harry knows what the, the, the Empire knows? Because it's also funny that, that he's telling them not to take their jump ships because they don't want to let too much out of the bag. But is that when just we've like already they, seen that they've let it out of the bag, right? They were recorded using them. So is that an instance of the is, is this the kind of drift that we see that Gale sees that the prime uh, radiant is, is, is undergoing that maybe the this version of Harry doesn't see? Or is it Harry being like one step ahead of the manipulation curve? Could also be that I wouldn't put it past him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is this connection between the two Harrys that I wanted to talk about. All right, let's talk about the, the, the quantum superposition. Yes, uh, quantum entanglement stuff that's happening with the Prime Radiant. They're they're quantumly connected as quantum supercomputers. Um, there was something that happened with Harry when he first. I get, I think when he first came out of the Prime Radiant into the ship um, that Salvor and uh, Gale were on where he confuses himself for a moment. He's like, I, I was in the vault. What happened? And he thinks I'm he's still him. that Harry. Yeah. I don't think, I, I think this is a literal, like he is that Harry for a moment that there is a physical oh. universe connection to the two Harry's that is real. It's not just, Oh, he was confused because his brain is broken. Does that mean that every time Harry is, conscious in the vault that the one that's on the you know with Gale and Salvor has to stop working hmm we don't see him we don't see the second Harry right I don't know we We don't don't see the second Harry this episode yeah is that why he had to become a human because that was going to become a problem oh maybe so now like this is the super is the superposition been solved and that like one is now the digital harry and one is not a physical harry yeah they've separated them Mm. um yeah why would that be important so that the the harry in the vault can't gain some kind of access to the knowledge of the second foundation i don't know because like that's i was even thinking like what is a superpositional quantum you know the prime radiant even do for us in the plot um yeah just no, allow a, you to have a, a, a second a second copy of something that could be here because something could I, yeah, I don't know it could be a band-aid on that but it feels more important than that to me no it doesn't feel like they're building to something with this duality for sure mm-hmm. i just can't see it yet i just can't see it yet same here yeah i thought you had a bigger piece of a of a theory when when you're talking about like oh uh, no i don't i have not connected at all uh all right. well, I, can I, I have not hope. come up with the the grand unifying theory yet <laughs> scientists are still working on it I'll haven't decoded it psychohistory yet no um so then I, the, the other thing about this scene is harry really praising the religious members of foundation and we're gonna see kind of why later when he's in the next part of the scene um but he's really just patronizing the director here right with his suit comments and again fine suit and and he's and the thing that he's doing here is he's having the foundation use the religious arm to actually go out and accomplish things whereas the governmental arm the the tech that they've evolved he's specifically telling them not to use it 
because yeah. the jump ships were all developed, you know, under the directors. Right. You can well under under that branch of the foundation. Yeah, and you can see the director probably wanted to have a big show of force, like jump in the train uh-huh. like we got jump ships, so we can do this, we can do that. And Harry's like, no, 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 no. And it's uh, it's uh, he's chafing under that. Mm-hmm. But but I did like like the naked joy that was on Polly's face when he realizes he's going to be able to not a flim flam man, not a confidence man, not a you know guy po- peddling hokey, but he gets to be an agent of peace. Yeah, you he's know, got a like, purpose like, now. Yeah, something that he like like is is this the type of thing he can do without having to dr- drink himself into a stupor? And at the end of the scene, he decides I don't need to drink, right? And he walks, yeah. he puts that down, he walks out, and he gives one last look back at Harry because I think this is the last time that oh, Polly's going to see I, Harry. This is yeah, that's what I got. That like, oh my god, I I was the last, and now I'm amongst the first, and it's the last. It's like yeah, he's soaking it in. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's reflecting on his entire life, and it's all been worth it now, right? Yeah, what a what a fucking bookend, man. Right. Uh, so let's go to the second part of this scene where Harry tells Hober that he called him here because he has influence, and he's sending him on a mission that is counter to the mission of peace that he just sent Polly and Constant on, but we don't know where he's sending him yet. Um, he talks about you know the the next stage, I guess, for. Uh, foundation which is this religion phase it's a developmental stage all civilizations go through some never escape it um that strikes me as true in civilizations that are not in contact or not branches of other existing civilizations like if you're an organism that's struggling to to acquire knowledge and find answers you're going to be wrong in your uh, determinations a lot of the time and you might attribute those things to gods and you might start to worship those sorts of things but foundation has the benefit of having spawned off a civilization that has already worked all that stuff out mm. and I'm not sure that it would work quite the same this petri dish is a little contaminated is what I would say yes the only question I have is is the contamination accounted for yeah, you know, does Harry know? Like, does he have a protocol above this? Uh-huh. What, what did you make? And of it might the... be necessary for like the emotional buy-in of a group, right? You might need, you might need this mythos um, to to really buy into the ideals of Foundation. That could become a religion, certainly. What did you think he made of the pa- a passing ghost dropped your name? Is this the? the mathematician is this the other harry is this yeah i, I don't know those are possibilities yeah, when gail came back from a vision of the future was was the mule asking for hober mallow or was he asking for the mentalics mm-hmm. was he asking for hober mallow uh i believe so yeah because like is that what when he's talking about gail and a passing ghost is, is he talking yeah is he talking about his superpositional self gleaning information from this vision that is feeding back to the prime mm-hmm. uh, radiant it's kind of what i'm thinking yeah but like harry doesn't have direct contact or some kind of like osmosal information exchange between the two mm-hmm. it's possible yeah, interesting i i gotta say though with these counterposed purposes mm-hmm with the intense connection that Hober and Constant feel towards each other and his glee at being used as a knife, you know, like a cat's paw, I, I it does seem like 
it would suit this purpose well to have constant be killed at the emperor's hand to really galvanize Hober yeah. into action. Uh-huh, and fight and be war. the one that's going to like, yeah, want to fight that war because yeah, if, if the other mission is peace, a counterposed mission is war. I mean, that's all there's yeah. to it. It literally means mm-hmm. in opposition to if you because I've never heard counterposed. You know, yeah. I could have guessed what it meant, but it literally means like something posed <laughs> uh-huh. is the opposite of something else. So, oof, oof, oof. And the thing we didn't really talk about yet with the. Uh, you know, the developmental stages of a civilization is Harry also mentions what comes after, which is, you know, the the religion is meant to be replaced by another mechanism, but he doesn't say what that mechanism is. I I I can't guess because I do remember where the well, first I was book to, goes with this. I do oh, because I wasn't I was asked gonna ask you is like, do you have any memory of this? Because I, I lose yeah. track of what's in the first book, second book, third book. I know I know roughly the next shape things are going to go, but I was wondering if you you did too. I do. I so, so I can't say much. But I think I, <laughs> aside from yes, mildly interesting. I would also say think about how civilizations you're familiar with might develop. Yeah, because again, this is all based on this. This is all mm-hmm. based by Asimov on real history. So yeah, 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 yeah. And this That's stuff good, excites good me. I, I like seeing yeah. the further developments. How foundation is going to change uh, to deal with the threat of empire yeah this core of the the books the skeleton that it's built on is in on its own fascinating so mm-hmm. get, getting to see another cog of that click over is going to be really cool uh and then sarith meets with a member of day's guard oh before we move on what did uh, you make of the commonality that uh harry was building with hober they both grew up with un- uh, disapproving fathers trying to put them on courses of action that was predetermined that they rebelled against. Like, mm. is there a, is there part of Harry that's hoping that Hober zigs where he's supposed to zag? Cause here's another father figure saying, here's the path before you son walk it. Mm-hmm. But he starts a conversation saying you and I both spat in our father's face and refute. Isn't that kind of interesting? Yeah, it could be to ingratiate himself and, and, you know, make himself a friendly God or, it could be, yeah, to to say, I'm the guy setting you on this path. Defy me. So is a is he counterposed a mission to secretly <laughs> homopose that's going to be juxtaposed? I, uh-huh. How many poses we got here, Selden? I don't know. A lot of them. It is I so. Was, the other, la, last yeah. thing is he opens the prime, the prime radiant to show him where it's like where the blade will be thrust, but we don't see where. Uh huh. Keep that in mind when we discuss uh, the, the scenes between Hober and Constant Ooh. going forward. I will say the one last thing I noted on like a just my modeling brain taking over in this scene because I want a model of everything and the Prime Radiant will be super awesome. That would be some a great real, practical model. Right? There's some real physical weight to this thing that I don't even know how you would duplicate in a physical model because when he slides that across the table... Mm-hmm. That thing, either the table is made of sandpaper or this thing has a lot of weight. It could be like heavy metal and resin. Chunk of of glass or or, 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 uh, acrylic or. Uh Yeah. Yeah, a solid chunk of glass would do it. But like, what's the original filigree inside of it? Is it just a whole bunch of like gold wire shaped and bent and posed? Yeah, it looks like gold. They suspend it in in a a clear medium. The heart. I I don't know. Yeah, it'd be. 
Uh, Adam Savage needs to get busy building uh-huh. doing a one day build of the Prime Radiant. He's got to watch sure. the show, right? No fucking way I Adam assume. Savage not watch the show. Yeah. All right, let's move over to Sarath meeting with a member of Day's Guard, I believe, who says he can help them figure out if Day killed her family and also to get her the visual records of the assassination attempt against Day. And here's where we learn Dominion has the ability to do several things with memory. They can block a memory wipe, they can reverse it after it's happened, mm-hmm. and they can fool a memory audit. Mm-hmm. Can they do multiple things simultaneously? Can they reverse a memory wipe, but also fool? Yeah, I'm going to do one. The, the The grooves of your brain can only be. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we got to scoop out certain parts, and yeah, yeah, you know. it's like uh, it's like a uh, you know, a solid state drive. There's only so many times you can blow those fuses before it's just done. Um, well, that's the thing to fool a memory audit. I guess in which ways can they fool a memory audit? Can they make it seem as if the person didn't see the things they saw? Yes, that's evident, mm-hmm. right, in this conversation. Can they make it seem as if the person did see things they didn't see? Oh, that's interesting. And especially since Empire's putting so much stock and faith in their memory auditing. Because like... what happens if they wipe this memory and they do an audit and there's just a blank? It's like contact, right? There was oh, yeah, 24 yeah, yeah. hours, 18 uh-huh. hours of static or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, what yeah. were you doing during the static? You weren't sleeping. You were on duty. What the hell, man? Yeah. So they got to replace uh, that with something. It's interesting that she says, like, did Cleon 17th have a hand in the death of my family? Because, like, I'm kind of suspecting Dusk. And I wonder if this is a, if this is like they're going to be checking that the whole, that's the one flaw she's making. Is she's suspecting da- uh, Day this whole time? And it was actually Dusk that did all this. It could be. I mean, what's his incentive here, right? To make it so that... She frames it as somebody arranged the death of her family in order to make it possible to have a marriage arrangement here. Because nobody else in her family would have ever even considered it. Maybe she's confusing the intended goal. Maybe it was just a weakened dominion for conquest so that Empire can just suddenly get bigger... Uh-huh. Through through an easy way. And he's and you got this radical day out here. And Day's trying to like share 50-50 things. Like it's like, why don't we just Yeah, I, I that's the only thing and the only way because like the other if this is Day's idea all this long, or Dusk's rather, I don't understand why he's so ang you know, unless this is a Harry Seldon game, manipulation game, I don't understand why he's so in opposition. But like if he wanted to conquer Dominion instead of a ally with it, I could see him thinking you've I did all this fucking exquisite political manipulation and you are just pissing on it. You are mm-hmm. taking my intricate painting and drawing on it with crayon. You are And that might lead someone and, and, to try and kill you, right? And you're the dumbest most uh degenerate <laughs> one of us too. You're uh, the one that can't get your napkin folded most correct. Genetic drift, yeah. Yeah. All of both of us hang slightly to the right, you're hanging to the left. Come on. <laughs> We got to get together. Yeah, I, I can see that's a, a, another way to look through his anger and frustration with Day. That Day is just cocking up something that's been a whole generation in the making. I like it. And then you could extrapolate and say maybe Dusk seeing that would be angry enough to order a hit on Day. Ooh, right. 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 Yeah. To preserve Empire, of course. Yeah. 
I got to say this hand man that they've got is like where I want to be with my beard, my mustache, my body in the next 15 years. This dude is fucking. Yeah. 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 I like him. Impressive. Okay. Uh, I, where I don't want to be with my body is where the guard, uh, where the day's guard is because his face is all scarred up. What the Dude, hell? Yeah, man. Was that at you the hands in... of day? You think? I was Empire? wondering to get that in the line of duty. Is that something the Empire did to him? Don't know. Yeah, I wonder. Empire does leave a mark. And this is the in, this is the this is the Imperial Guard. These are the most loyal. The inner circle. Mm-hmm. It's kind of nuts that they've got someone that they're able to I mean if you can get this close to the empire what can't you do yeah I wonder how they did it uh, and you know she Sarah here wants to get the visual records of the assassination attempt so she can figure out how he survived the attack by what, what was the first alarm bell that went off when you heard that because I had one the first alarm bell yeah I don't think alarm bells were going off for me no one knows that Dimmerzel's a robot that is strictly guarded imperial secrets. If you get the full record of this attack, oh, I see. Well, well then there are two alarm bells that went off in my head. The, well, one that went off in my head, and that's another one. Uh, yeah, okay. she's a robot. <laughs> you're holding out. You're holding out on me on alarm bells. What was the? What was I the guess I was one? looking for something that was an alarm bell for uh, Sarath, not for Day oh, and oh, the Empire. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. But th- but there's another one. Is that Day's having sex with her? I don't yeah. think they, they want that to be public knowledge either or knowledge of their who enemies, would, certainly. Yeah, I don't know if any who cares about that, though. Maybe a future wife. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, the whole I mean, God, she's not put off by the Gossamer Corp. Did you fucking your android? This is where I draw uh-huh. the line. A sex spot, a sex spot, Cleon. Yep. I don't know. It's his assistant, right? It's it's like her fucking Rue. Mm. Would she do that? I don't know. I actually have no idea. She might. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> might. No I was say. Every night. Who knows? Uh-huh. Uh, but we saw how he survived the attack. He's just a badass, and he's got a badass robot helping him. I yeah. mean, that's how you survive an attack by assassins. Yeah, You're just a badass. Your, use your sex bot's head to block the fatal blow, and then... <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, but I assume it will be a scandal when that comes out. And then we move on to the final scene here where Hober finally emerges from the vault. He tells Polly and Constant that Harry said he needs to take their ship on his mission. And before Hober leaves, Constant professes her attraction to him and her disappointment in not having had the chance to bed him. Which is kind of shocking to me. Uh, Because she's, you know, a, a brother, right? That's the... That's a surprising thing. They don't apparently have any limits on their sexuality. She has some personal uh, proclivities, right? A woman of small opportunities and particular likes. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that line. She only um, likes Hobers. That's her. That's her. <laughs> She's uh, the Hober yeah. only. But her, she got a bumper sticker. I stop for Hobers. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Honk, I don't know. Honk if you're Hober. <laughs> Is this a funny? Is this? A, it's a particular. That is a. I will say this, uh, brother. That's a particular taste. Homer mm-hmm. Mallow is a is particular particular like. I guess it makes a certain amount of sense if this is nothing more than a marketing arm. 
they probably wouldn't have rules like yeah you like know, you would expect of a monk or a priest or, yeah yeah it's probably more like listen to the foundation give them beneficial <laughs> uh, trade deals it's not uh -huh. so much like uh don't put this body part in this other body part especially if you're this other yeah no you i don't think they care much about that yeah uh but it was surprising to me and just the the intensity of the attraction that she's feeling here was another surprising thing did you get the idea that Hober is a slightly different guy towards her? I got this like a reluctance that I don't think is Hober Mallow to pursue a relationship with her. And I wonder if Harry, when he revealed where his blade would be pointed, somehow gave up that, you know, you're going to hmm. the mission that you're on is going to lead to it. And he's trying to maintain separation to kind of save himself. It's interesting because his demeanor Cause, cause is very different get... here than the beginning of this episode when he's flirting yeah. with her actively, right? And he's still flirting with her, but it's, there's like a wet blanket over the whole thing, where yep. especially when you consider how strong she's coming after him because he's like throwing like, oh, well, you're young and you've got morals and you've got, she's like, I'm not that young. I don't got that many morals. Uh, uh -huh. kind of want to do it right now. Uh, like, And <laughs> yeah. he's just like, no, nah, no. Nah, it's like, I, I do wonder if he knows where the blade's going to be pointed and it's pointed a little bit too close to Weenus here. That makes a lot of sense, I think. Uh, Weenus. Can we talk about Weenus? Weenus is the all-time worst fictional name I have ever heard. Hands yeah. down. Yeah. I wonder if it's a Friends Weenus. reference. A Friends? Uh, no, it's from the book. The first Foundation book. There's a major <laughs> character named Weenus. Oh, right. Yeah, Asimov I, made this shit up. <laughs> like, that's funny. Is it? Is it a clue? Is, it, is there any kind of? Because like it, I, it I, I do be the character so different from. Constant, I almost but. always look up the character names that we hear to see, like you know what bells. But like I did all this cavalcade of names he's throwing out that they're joke and ween. It's like, uh, um, I, yeah. This, this is. I thought it was a friend's reference because there's something with Chandler where he makes fun of people in his job getting. Uh, obsessed with the weekly estimated net usage statistics like these crazy people run around the where's weenus. the weenus how's the weenus I'm concerned with the weenus and like the, at the end of this episode he's been promoted and he's like demand like it's like 8 o'clock on a Friday night and he's like damn it where I've, I've seen the weenus and I'm not happy and it's like but no Asimov Asimov came up with weenus yeah he coined the name weenus apparently he's like I, I like penises mm -hmm. what if I changed the first letter to a wa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say it is an insult to be sure because the Weenus character is considered a fool and he, uh, I won't say anymore. He's, he's, he's a real dumbass, that guy. Mm, ass like a mule. Oh no, I don't know anything about the mule. <laughs> I don't think you got to the mule. No, uh, I definitely reading, didn't. So. But I got um, to Weenus. You got to the Weenus. Weenus is book one, book one knowledge here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I just, I, I thought there was a little bit something between them that was not between her and him, it's between him and her. And I wonder if it's if not Harry's mm -hmm. secret mission. He's giving her a little, a little too much. Yeah, we end uh, the episode with another voiceover from Gail. With few exceptions, attraction is entirely irrelevant to human history. It only matters on the small scale of the human heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you, you feel like it. You, you feel, even though you've only known these characters for 
an episode really you start to feel like this is kind of a missed opportunity this this is tragic in a way that they're being sent no, I'm a- off uh without ever having developed a relationship that could have been great yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you've heard of any of a uh, podcast for any length of time, I'm a notorious shipper. I was shipping these guys right away, but I'm it's a sad ship because I think it's going to go down. I mean, this this last thing is not what you say when the viewer is being introduced to a love affair that's going to last a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, attraction is completely irrelevant to human history. It only matters with a small scale to human art. That's not what you say when a grand romance is start to begin. That's like a slightly forlorn, melancholy statement. I could, But again, I, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. And again, there's also the tantalizing possibility that, that, that Harry is spinning Hober up to do the opposite, mm-hmm. to reinforce the mission of peace. So who knows? We'll see. I I cannot wait. I literally, as soon as we're done recording this, I'm going to watch the next episode because I've been nice. holding out for like four weeks now. Oh, uh, that's right. You watched right. this ages ago. Right. I just watched I it. I sprinted to four and then so like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get back onto the weekly weekly grind because we'll be keeping it. Nice. We'll be uh, one week ahead of you um from the rest of the 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 the, the season. So for, for feedback purposes and going forward, there shouldn't be any any worry about uh us accidentally spoiling anymore so we made mm-hmm. it we made it uh we made it to the end of the episode too how do you feel about all that? right i am pleased if you would like to send feedback about foundation it's easy foundation at baldmove.com is how you do that thing you're listening to foundation and podcast we'll be right back And we're back. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, here's the feedback for this week. First up is Lucas says, I think your point about the fleet's morale was interesting. Did the fleet ever have a strong esprit de corps? And when? I can't imagine it's been like this during the whole Cleonic dynasty. The same dude has been ruling over empire for generations. Why now are they on the verge of mutiny? The simple answer is the genetic drift that they have previously experienced since he's now repaired has made the difference. But that's boring. I know you guys are fans of The Wire, and I am too. I think it'd be much more interesting to say that even though it's been the same guy ruling in the same manner over 16 or whatever iterations, people are still beholden and enslaved to some extent by systems which they have no control over. That no one, no matter how powerful, can control all the systems, and it eventually becomes a beast all its own. It would also dovetail nicely with the whole concept of Harry's plan, which basically says that systems are what he predicts and not individual people. Under the exact same person in the exact same role will eventually result in things even under his purview changing significantly. If you can't tell, I'm not a fan of the implications of genetic drift thematically, even if it's kind of cool as its own isolated subplot. Jim, what do you think about this uh, line of reasoning slash criticism? Um, I mean, as it relates to like a mutinous military, I I don't know. I, I feel like you'd get various levels of, of mutinous officers over the course of these generations, right? Because like the the military is not changing its structure much, but the individuals within it are changing constantly, right? And that's that's the thing. You're gonna have the the bells who are like disobeying an order here or there because they think it's the right thing to do. And then you're probably gonna have commanders who would never have disobeyed an order now no matter how much it seemed stupid or would have cost them. So it's probably just we're picking up in a 
particular time that is one that has a commander who is willing to disobey an order on that front. Uh, the larger question about like, you know, can Empire hold on to all the planets? Is that even possible? Does that create a scenario that's so stifling that you get a rebellion that necessarily destroys it and like all those systems interacting? I mean, I think, yeah, that's that's one of the central reasons Empire is falling, right? Their reach has become too broad. Yeah. They can't, they can't Succeeded accommodate. As yeah, they, they can't. It's not even that they can't accommodate everyone's wishes or whims. They just can't repress those, I guess. You know, because everybody's going to have different things they want. And not all of those are going to line up with what Empire wants. It's just a matter of like yeah. how how much does that tide turn before it actually turns the tide, right? How, mu- how much of that feeling of resentment can the Empire tolerate before it boils over and destroys itself? Yeah, I agree. And I, it's like some of the things that Lucas is saying here, I feel like is like a fractal. Like if you're looking at a Mendelbrot pattern and you like uh, yeah, zoom yeah. in it and just looks the same, like... I feel that's what you're doing. You're like, oh, I don't like this genetic drift because I think it should be just an outcourt going of the... But the reason the genetic drift is happening is not because they forgot to do how to do cloning correctly. It's because people infiltrated and fucked it up from the outside because they were being... Because the emperor is being so heavy-handed and they're oppressing so many people. Like, right. you know, like like an institution gets too big that you can effectively govern. Once that happens, you only can oppress right you can just uh-huh. try to suppress and i feel like you're saying like when did they ever have a strong esprit de corps i actually think in the early stages of cleonic dynasty things were pretty good for the galactic core at least you know okay. like in yeah, the I mean, frontiers of the no. galaxy where they are taking more than they're giving back and you know they've you got your your the empire part of the empire happening um, it probably sucks, but like at the core where all the wealth and affluence is being collected at, I bet it's, it's pretty nice, but like, that's just not yeah. like oppression is not a, a stable state of governance because eventually you have to spend so much money on the oppression that you're not even making the lives, uh, the, the lives good for the people who are supposed to be on top and you can no longer protect them from the people in the bottom, just try and survive. And so like, I feel like yeah it's not just the genetic drift it's all of the things that's happening and that's what Terry's point is it's not just one thing would take the empire out it's going to be a slew and if you would stop the genetic drift if Cleon had stabilized and that had not been a problem he would still have you know renegade generals mm-hmm. and uh breakaway empires and it people nipping at, the at gates, their heels right yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they can't. The bottom line is, they can't. If they could effectively govern, which means meeting the needs of the majority of the of, of their people and making them feel they're represented, they wouldn't have any problems. So, and ultimately, like, if if you want to boil it down to its most essential elements, it's entropy, right? It's yes. trying to enforce order upon chaos, which is the definition of humanity in a lot of ways. Uh, that only works in its singular form or whatever form it's taking at the time to a certain point, and then it itself begins to decay, right? It's at the risk of promoting one of the podcasts here on the Ball Move Network, uh, growth, decay, transformation. That is the inherent cycle in everything. And you can see, like, I bet during the period of expansionism, um, 
for the empire actually the people on the outer rims probably felt or on the outer edges of the empire probably felt pretty good about it everything was growing right yeah. like they brought these the machines space elevator in, right and they, they brought these machines these giant machines in to start mining these outer planets and there was so much wealth flowing to those planets economic and the development were, baby yeah. yeah the people were really loving that until the point where the palladium dries up and they turn the machines on the people and the transformation has happened and the decay has started to set in right like that's like you can take a sampling of any period of of the empire and say what are we in are we in the growth stage are we in the decay stage and right now this particular lens we're viewing it through is the decay stage nicole k says i'm so thrilled for more foundation i respect and enjoy your coverage well thank you nicole like you guys, I love the new characters we were introduced, introduced to this week. I especially like Rios, and I'm interested to see where the storyline goes. However, I couldn't shake the uneasy feeling about Empire reuniting with his husband. Is anyone else worried that this might be too good to be true? Like, maybe the husband. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. G- Glaywin? Glaywin, yeah. It sounds like... It, it really just Gaywin, sounds... as I call it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it sounds like Jerry actually... Lewis should be saying it. Glaywin. Yeah, Glaywin. It's... <laughs> it's a bad name. <laughs> My lady. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, might not actually be his husband, but just some kind of clone or trick by the Empire. Or maybe it is his real husband, but he's been brainwashed and it's like true blue for the Empire and has been brought in to test and manipulate Rios. I hope I'm wrong, but I couldn't quite shake a double agent vibe I was picking up. Just wondered Ooh. if anyone else did too, or if this is just a side effect of my recent mission impossible marathon. Oh my god. Who's gonna rip off the 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 Glaywin mask and reveal it's been Dimmerzel all along? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Empire deserves this, right? Deserves the, like the fact that we're all this skeptic and I, I that's mm-hmm. what I said about Bell Rios is like why is he walking into this obvious trap with his eyes wide open and I thought they gave us a pretty good answer that he actually is a sucker for the people of the Imperium and he wants to be a bulwark against the excesses and depredations of the Cleonic emperors and that's very noble but sure what do you think the odds are that uh, there's something up with Glaywin? Like, uh, as soon as Belrios achieves his mission, there's going to be a time bomb in his chest, or he's <laughs> they only decanted a clone that has nine months of cohesion to... What is going to be the rug pull for Rios, if any? Yeah. Eight years with the Empire. Huh. Because it seems to me like... <sighs> nah, I don't want to. Because, like... Uh... I'm, I mean, I'm eight, eight years sometimes I'm worried that half remembered memories from my 13 year old are actually whispering into my ear and I'm actually giving mm-hmm. spoilers so I'm just going to stay away uh, what, what do you th- what do you do you think there's an inevitable rug pull for Bell Rios it's possible I, I think eight years is a long time to be I want to know more about the eight years that Glaywin spent because I know where Bell was I want to know what was happening with Glaywin because if he is kind of a captive of empire and being like tortured and manipulated and shit that could have a huge effect on him and he could be you know some sleeper agent that's that's you know sent to keep watch on bell and if things go wrong either take over or or report back whatever but yeah we don't really have an insight into that because i could also see eight years you know just being a citizen separated from your spouse 
by the Empire could foster a lot of resentment. Um, mm-hmm. And yet he's content to step back into this role, so there can't be an overwhelming resentment there, or at least not as much resentment as there is affection for Bell. So I don't know. I want to know more about him, but yeah, there's a potential there. He could certainly be a plant for the Empire. Yeah, I'm not sure like how much of a chance is of being a double agent. Like, ha ha ha! You thought I loved you? I really love the Empire. Um, I mean, that's uh-huh. but but some kind of rug pull. Like, you know, you think you've done your duty by the Empire, and he, but the Empire still wants you to know that you're his. You know, that that you're you're his vassal, and he kills your husband just out of spite because he can't imagine. Oh yeah. He can't imagine ever need to be in a position where he's going to need you again. Or he's got you by the balls because you're ultimately loyal to the Empire. And you also love the little people. So what are you going to do? I killed your husband. You're going to stop protecting the little people? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like something that this version of Day would do. I think so. That, that's the thing. And I don't think that this version of Day would leave Bell to run his own operation here outside of his view, right? That's I, another... I think he does have a mechanism in there somewhere, and whether it's Glaywin or somebody else, it, it just hasn't been revealed yet. Yeah, that's another good call. Like, you should. He doesn't trust the guy, it. right? Yeah, yeah. Why would he? Why would he? He's got to. Yeah. He's got to keep in, uh, tabs on him. He's an mm-hmm. enemy. Uh, Tom from South Jersey says, "I know this is late, but I just watched the latest episode. And I'm scratching my head trying to figure out why they would juxtapose such a comical and cartoonish scene with the rescue of Hobo Mallow." <laughs> and the seriousness of the touching scenes, the general returning to his husband and troops I'm supposed to believe that a uh-huh. prison. Wait, um, I mean, I'm usually sensitive to total changes like that, but I don't know. Like, I felt like it was a serious situation with Hober Mallow. It's just that he, that the com the comedy is just how easily he can escape such a sheer sheer death situation and just outsmart this this fool. But yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I didn't see the slapstick. It wasn't like Dumber Dumber against Philadelphia. The movie, you know, like is <laughs> more I, like yeah. I don't know a Wes Anderson film against Philadelphia. Mm, I guess okay. Yeah, Slightly I'm, I'm totally cool with this i i think if you can pull it off and there's definitely ways to mess it up i think it could be done poorly but i i come back to breaking bad when i think of this tonal clash and it working really well right you got jesse and his friends who are complete fuck-ups and idiots and then you got the stakes of walter and his family and they're incredibly Mm. high emotional stakes and in a single episode they will do both of those things and it works beautifully in fact it works so well that it's an essential part of the show that I love. It's the thing that I love about the show the most is those yeah, two. The humor is improved by the tension and vice versa. Yeah. And, and I think they're getting a good long way toward that in this show. I things like Titans prick. They don't feel out of place to me. They feel like they're adding to the texture of this show. I don't need it to all be serious, right? I do want some comedy in my shows because I like comedy. <laughs> and if yeah. you can do it well, it really works. And I think they're doing it pretty well here. For me, anyway. Tom's got another substantive criticism. He says, I know I'm supposed to believe the prisoner can escape all those guards in a convertible skiff. I know they suffer from Stormtrooper aim, but that was outrageous for a show that hasn't really shown a tone like this before. 
Um, I don't know. Like my so my idea of this planet is that they are a bunch of incompetent baboons that are buffoons, <laughs> baboons too, that are technologically inferior to the foundation and by a, a good margin. You're talking about Savannah, Savannah. I don't know. How is you that say the it. the military? I couldn't remember. If that's the. The, the 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 where all the military guys were, but y- yeah, wherever uh-huh. the generalissimo and his uh, hot uh, security chicks were, that like those guys seem like they're buffoons who are inferior technologically. These this oh. isn't a te- oh yeah yeah this okay. is a backwater planet by imperial standards, and Foundation has as of this episode we found out better than imperial tech. Mm-hmm. Like they have, they are, they are, they are, they have surpassed Empire in terms of their warp technology, in terms of maybe their personal shielding technology. So I don't think that Hober Mallow was necessarily in mortal danger at any point in this time. And it's, mm-hmm. it is supposed to be kind of a romp. And I don't think he'd have that same success against an Imperial Stormtroopers. <laughs> uh, you know, the guys looking mm-hmm. like Judge Dredd with the Stargate helmets. Uh, but these guys, it's like, yeah, it's it's like uh, getting getting the if, if you're a professional, if you're like a space alien that has shields and shit trying to get over a local mili- like redneck militia, you know? Sure. Like Don Johnson and Glorious Bastard style. Like, the, yeah, there, I don't I don't I don't have a problem with with that happening at all. If he if he's able to make the fo- a fool out of the Cleons troops, that would be a different kettle of fish, I think. Yeah, and and I will say, you know, the action on the show doesn't always work as well as like that blend of humor and emotional stakes for me. The the humor and the highbrow stuff kind of mm-hmm. they work better than the action most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, something they're getting better at and working on. Yeah, integrating. Yeah, it better. it's not it's not its forte. You know, the show's doing other things better for sure. Jeff says, according to a study in the New Atlantic article, major personality changes happen before 30 years old and after 60 years old. He included this uh, this study, uh, this report on the study in the the, the Atlantic. Apparently, that's true, that uh, Mm. people uh, experience profound or tend to experience profound personality changes when they're in their 30s and when they're in their 60s, which dovetails nicely with the thing they got the genetic uh, dynasty. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Apple planted a story, but it does seem to bolster the Empire's storytelling of the dawn, day, and dusk. I had thought that 30 and 60 cutoff lines were a bit conveniently arbitrary, justified by nothing more than 90 divided by 3. <laughs> and 30 does feel a bit young to start chief monarch duties, and 60 does feel a bit early to semi-retire. But this new data at least shows these ages as significant inflection points of personality. Uh, which also means the day period of 30 to 60 is the period of one of the periods of greatest personal stability or might we say stagnation um yeah you don't have to you don't you don't have to uh be scientifically accurate in your uh organization of a fake empire but it doesn't hurt sure yeah guys trying to remember i saw something where it turns out the ancient people. Oh, the idea that the the Arctic and Antarctic. Do you know that the words Arctic and Antarctic literally mean with bears and without bears? <laughs> Jesus. Because the ancient Greeks like knew in the north that there was bears at that pole, 
and they deduced that the opposite side of the earth would be the opposite and it wouldn't have bears and they were fucking right just for doodah luck <laughs> what? they happen to not have bears on in antarctica so wild, wild. it works out that way sometimes uh jj johnson said this episode felt a lot like late 70s early 80s star wars movies the ship escaping from underground while the stomping machines try to destroy it harbo malo Mm -hmm. as han solo (laughs) yep i'm gonna go with harbo malo uh the feel the first time awe-inspiring scenes even the terribly inaccurate shooting from the bad guys all early star wars this felt nothing like the foundation we've seen so far. It does make me feel like the kid I was when I saw Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. It makes me very happy and yet very worried for the show. Jim, should nothing JJ like I, hmm. should JJ be worried? Are you worried? Are you worried about these fantastic flights of fancy? You're telling me you're worried because this show's action sequences have become more like some of the most beloved movies ever made sci-fi action yeah i'm not worried (laughs) i'm not worried in fact i think it's been an improvement from the season one action stuff honestly i think that people are in denial about how pulpy a lot of asimov's work was especially i mean including foundation uh the series overall and it's it's a total i mean it was written in the heyday of that era Mm-hmm. There is his fair share of atomic monsters and robot. I mean, it's there. It's, you know, spaceman wearing silver. Co- it's it's there's very there's there's a fair amount of Flash Gordon in in Asimov because that was just kind of mm-hmm. like the, the time. Um, so, like, I don't. Yeah. Like the fact that Star Wars. Was hugely influenced by Foundation and that the current Foundation version of Foundation is hugely influenced by Star Wars. I think that feels beautiful, natural, just and right. Yeah, I'm certainly not going to complain. It, it, you know, I I want them to do well with the action sequences and yeah, say what you want about Stormtrooper shooting. It's, it's kind of a joke in Star Wars too, but nobody lambast Star Wars for it, right? Nobody's yeah. like, fuck this stuff. It's terrible because the stormtroopers can't shoot. Right. Uh, I Yeah, and I, to me, it's like, I as long as they keep the cerebral side of the show up, I this all stuff is bonus. Like, if it was uh-huh. all there, if it was like uh, uh, Isaac Asimov's foundation, it was just the pulpy Star Wars John Williams stuff, and they oh, didn't yeah. have any of the intellectual side, like, I would not be very interested in the show mm-hmm. because yeah, I've seen Star Wars and it's but like this is, you know, Star Wars plus, uh, if you want to say it that way, it's got it's got a lot of this, some of the essential Star Trek kind of like societal commentary and, uh, you know, gee whiz, what if wonder kind of big, big picture questions. And I it's yeah, I mean. Uh, I imagine people be nervous, especially if this is one of your beloved uh, uh, touchstone type of developmental science fiction franchises. But like, I'm kind of starting to relax. Um, And also, I'm like, yeah, like if the show falls off and gets real dumb, I can always be like, okay, well, it's starting to suck. But (laughs) sure, (laughs) I'm not looking for problems, you know? Yeah. Uh, Zach says, after listening to you guys discuss whether or not the show has made direct connections to Earth's solar system at the end of your last podcast, I felt like chiming in to remind you guys that the show has given us a bit of an answer already. 
If you recall, mm. a cold open from one of the later episodes of season one featured a young Salvor talking to her father, asking him where, quote unquote, we came from. Reminds her that he and her mom came to over to Terminus on Harry's ship from Trantor. And Salvor corrects him and says, no, I don't mean like, where did the people of the Foundation come from? I mean, all the people. Where did humans come from? This puzzles him, and he thinks about it for a moment, making it clear that the answer to the question is not obvious. He lists a few in-universe theories about the origin of humanity and adds at the end. And of course, some people believe we all came from a place called Earth. He says Earth. Huh. Uh, from I this, I, I didn't either. I didn't either. From this, I think we can extrapolate that humanity in this universe likely did come from Earth and that we are in the same universe as our reality. But so far in the future, the Earth is just a distant memory of the rearview mirror of humanity's collective history. Essentially, like the Battlestar Galactica uh-huh. uh, yeah. uh, analogy we're making. So far in the future, in fact, the coming from Earth seems like more of a folklore rumor than confirmed fact and somehow got separated from grand story of humanity's journey at this later phase of intergalactic expansion. Uh, so does Dimmerzel keep a diagram of our solar system because she's older than we thought and actually once lived on Earth, keeping a diagram to remind her of a place that so long ago was called home? Or is she truly the age that the show tells us she is, but keeps a diagram of that solar system because being 11,000 years old, she's one of the only entities left with the knowledge that Earth is in fact the origin of everything modern society is. Um... Yeah, I could yeah. totally see that. I, I could see her being, you know, the Boston Dynamics, the thing we joked about. But, like, mm-hmm. the, the, there's a wrinkle in here in this latest episode where we see it on the wall, the Empire's art wall, right? Like, that to me says that it at some point had some meaning to the Empire, at least the symbology of it. And I don't know if that's because historically they've kept records and they know that they've been derived from earth although they don't talk about it it's just kind of a history book sort of thing if you delve deep enough um or if it just the the imagery itself somehow survived the death of the civilization that would remember our beginnings on earth their beginnings on earth i guess i could easily see that right you know uh like they're using the symbol though they don't really understand its context yeah yeah um or they see it as like this is this is a myth it's a popular myth but it's you know sure, it's been so yeah. long that i i it just we just assume you know it's like seeing a cross you know in some work of art or like garden of eden i think garden of eden is a perfect example of like i don't think garden of eden is a literal place i know that's controversial with some people <laughs> don't really care I don't think uh-huh. it's a real place, but I also am. A, I, I don't like when people say Garden of Eden. I'm like, where? That's no place I've never heard of. And I'm mm-hmm. familiar with it because I'm, you know, I'm, I grew up in a in a in a civilization steeped in that myth. So, but you know, thousands of years from now, will people still remember that myth, or is it going to be something that's so lost to the history of time that you know you could see a cross and not immediately associate it with the Christian mythology? Uh, there's we've got some times so I'm gonna I'm gonna engage in uh, indulge in a little head scratcher by Zach. He says if uh, I could be missing something here, and it might be something as fundamental as the definitions of a robot versus an android in Isaac Asimov's extended universe. But should all sentient or self-directing technology that operates its own body be held to the laws of robotics? If so, why and how are the autonomous mining droids that chased and shot at uh, Gale and Salvor and Harry at the end of the episode able to do so? Should protecting both humanity and the individual humans be a higher directive for them than extinguishing any or all life on Una's world as they seem programmed to do? Well, unless they're programmed 
to ignore the laws. I mean, the laws See, are something that's programmed into robots, right? So you change the programming, you change the laws. That's the thing. You got to remember the number one, the rules of robotics are not really a thing in this series. Uh, I mean, they are, but sure, they, they, they can't make rules. I don't, I don't think they can actually explicitly cite the rules <laughs> because they don't have access to that part of the, the robots part of Isaac Asimov's canon. Right. Um, and then even in like, I think there is a difference between like an automated mining droid that doesn't have a generalized artificial intelligence that could be reprogrammed to attack living things versus a thinking machine reasoning out that it should kill humans. Like it's a fail safe on a reason right. on a reasoning machine so they can never exceed or, or, or enslave humanity, not like a technical limitation or right like a um, jump ship can still kill a bunch of humans by jumping right sure and you could program to do so in an automated way you know uh-huh uh but it it wouldn't be the same as uh as dimmerzel deciding that like i need to send the ship as a bomb because it suits my agenda blah 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 so i i that's a it's, it's those are to me, I think the show is doing a remarkable job of bringing all that in. If you are an Asimov fan, that like you can clearly see the rules of robotics and how it's affecting Dimmerzel and all that stuff. But also, if you are not a fan of that, I think you get all this stuff, you know, without mm-hmm. them having to explain it and violate the the copyright of Asimov's grandchildren. I guess. Yeah, with Dimmerzel, it it really only applies to the Empire, right? That's her only real concern. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think that's uh, that's exactly right. Um, okay, let us get to the last piece of feedback, which is Chris from Western Australia says, I think it'd be funny in later seasons if thousands of years of genetic drift is represented by a completely different set of actors used to play Dawn, Day, and Dusk. Personally, I like to see Will Poulter as Dawn, Jesse Plemons as Day, and J- Steve Buscemi as Dusk. Who would you and Jim's choices be? <laughs> I don't know, but I really want Terry Crews' day in full Camacho mode. <laughs> you know, like the uh-huh. president from Idiocracy. Uh-huh. Like that to me is a that is some fucking gen, that is some drift. Oh yeah. Uh <laughs> love it. Uh what plants crave. I want I want Willem Dafoe as Dusk. That is a quality <laughs> drifted Dusk. Yes, I like that. Can can I suggest Will Wheaton for 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 Dawn? Uh, he's a bit old at this point. I know, but that's even funnier. DH. Well, yeah, yeah like sure, he's yeah. he's he's a scuffed teenager, and he uh-huh. always will be. Uh huh. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I could try and think of uh oh, who's a. Uh, Finn Wolfhard. <laughs> oh God, yes. Finn Wolfhard is day. Dawn. Or Dawn, yeah. A really Terry Crews is Just in full, and... like I'm a shitty kid mode, you know. Uh huh. Love it. Fuck you, Grandpa. We're brothers. <laughs> I thought we we're the same person. Uh. Okay. Amazing. I think. I think. I think we did. I think we did pretty good there. <laughs> I do want to know what the hell happens today between the Terry Crews and the Willem Dafoe phase? Drift? You drift I, enough? Yeah, but the genetic drift couple, happens couple over ma- generations, not couple, over the span of one man's life. 
couple couple melanin couple <laughs> couple melanin uh, uh, telomeres. Oh shortened, yeah, you just you know you just get the uh, the same stuff that they use on the wall, right? The art supplies they're using those pigments. He's gonna start doing and body he just paint. experiments yeah. with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's what the show needs. It needs chroma pigmented blackface. <laughs> Jesus Christ! With Terry Crews. Uh, oh no. Anyway, that's our feedback. Once again, foundation at baldmove.com is how you send us feedback each and every week. If you like to follow us and see what we're doing, aside from foundation, of course, we're in the middle of Justified City Primeval. Very fun, very good at a season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Like if you're an old school Star Trek fan and have been disaffected by modern Trek, I highly encourage you to give Strange New Worlds a try. It is really making this old school Trekkies heart sing. Trekker, sorry. Mm-hmm. Almost, almost showed, uh, revealed myself as a fucking poser. Uh, but you can follow, you can figure out what we're doing. Uh, we're on most social medias at Bald Move, with the exception of uh, TikTok, which is Baldest Move. Uh, and then if you want to support us, uh, keep what we're doing here doing uh, an active part. We don't get consigned to the dustbin of history. Uh, please support us. Support.baldmove.com. You get the satisfaction of supporting content you love. And cool things like extra bonus content, including ad-free feeds. Support.baldmove.com. That's going to do it for this week. Until next week, uh, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. Respect and enjoy the podcast. <laughs>